0: If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, we're going to finish up from verse 56 to the end of the chapter today, the third installment of our Savior's Saga. Uh, Remember that Luke is now writing from a Gentile perspective. He's taking a look uh, into the lives of this Jewish family, and he's come to this place to where we have these two miraculous births. Both are, are within earshot of one another, and we finish up today with John the Baptist And it is interesting to me that uh, as Zacharias has gone silent, he's not been able to speak, so it was for the Jewish people uh, that they'd really not heard the voice of the Lord, at least prophetically, for some 400 years, and now uh, the voice of the Lord is about to speak to them again. And so it's this beautiful picture uh, of how the Lord works uh, in our lives, giving us in exactly the right time the things that we need to hear as well. And so would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 56 and finish chapter 1 today. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this incredible story, which is truth. Lord, that you sent this man, John, to be the forerunner, to be the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make way the paths of the Lord Uh, And Lord, as we have his story, we pray that you'd speak to us through it, uh, his birth. Lord, as he begins uh, a journey of some 30 years, being prepared uh, to speak for you, Jesus, before you ever spoke for yourself, Uh, we pray that you would cause us to, to hear your voice from your word. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 56 here in Luke chapter 1, and Mary remained... Uh, with her for about three months and then returned to her house and so she's at Elizabeth's home with Zacharias this very aged cousin is about to give birth uh, to John the Baptist Uh, really one miracle if you will would would lead to another miracle and she's resolute she's absolutely stayed Um, we're kind of going backwards a little bit in the biblical narrative as far as Christmas is concerned Um, But as we take the Word of God chapter and verse, we're just simply journeying through uh, the Savior's saga. Um, We don't know all of the little details that were spoken into Mary's life while she was staying with this aged priest whose only Bible—we have a tendency to think when we see the word Scripture in the New Testament— Uh, We equate it generally to the totality of what we know to be the Bible, which would be the Old Testament and the New. But remember, for them, the only Bible they had would have been the Old Testament. So the scriptures that Zacharias is familiar with are the Old Testament scriptures, very specifically the Law and the Prophets, and then what we would call those, those books which are the Minor Prophets the final minor prophet to to write and to speak to the church was the last voice that was heard 400 years earlier. And and so it comes at the end of this period of silence. And it's interesting that Zacharias has now been silent this whole time. He's been made mute. He cannot talk. But his lips are about to be opened, and they're going to be opened with some really, really good news. Verse 57, and now Elizabeth... Full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth the son and When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now remember what that mercy is. Uh, it was considered really a lack of god 's blessing in any family 's life if they didn 't have children, and she 's childless. This is like almost the worst thing imaginable for a Jewish family, and especially for someone who's a priest in the temple, because children were viewed to be a blessing from God. They weren't in any way, shape, or form a burden. They weren't a curse. Uh, They weren't something to be disdained. They were literally a blessing from the hand of God. And so this is mercy. So as this story now transitions from here's Elizabeth who has no children to now she's going to bear a son and that son is going to be the, the voice of literally the Lord, um, the mercy of God was clearly upon her. In other words, she, she, if she had something going on in her life, if they as a couple had, had had something going on in their life to where God had removed maybe his hand of blessing, because that's how the Jewish people saw it. If there was something held back, it was God who held it back because God sent Everything. If it came from God, then if you didn't receive it, it had to have been the Lord restraining his hand. And so it was that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And again, when when we speak of having a Judeo-Christian worldview, the reason we speak that way is because almost the entirety of all the very first Christians were, guess what? Jewish. They understood almost everything through a Jewish lens. And so here comes this moment in time where on the eighth day, as every Jewish family would, they're going to circumcise their little boy. uh, And they would normally, at that point in time, begin to think of a name that would be the second name. Usually they would be named after their father or certainly a close relative. Sometimes it would be an aunt or or an uncle, depending on whether it's a male or female child. But very often they would also be named after their father. And so in in any Jewish sense, they're all sitting around, well, of course you're going to name him after a priest. And his name was Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, his name shall be called John. Now, you talk about weird. For a Jewish family, it's like, John? It's like, there's nobody in your family named John. It's like, what are you, what are you getting out? Interestingly enough, that name in its equivalent in Hebrew means God is gracious. So, he's going from the name Zacharias. His mother says, no, we're we're calling him John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who's called by that name. A very, very Jewish response. It's like, no, no, you can't. You can't even do that. It's like there's something wrong with you. And, And so I want you to notice this. Now look what they did. So they made signs to his father. He's been silent so long. They also think he's deaf. So they're over like, you know, like what's going on here, you know i say, you can't do this. You're going to name him after you. You waited all these years. You were childless. Of course he's going to be Zacharias. And so they're making signs what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying his name is John. Not, well, I think it's a good idea. Listen to Elizabeth. His name is John. And so they all marveled. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosened and he spoke, praising God. The first moment where God's voice is audible in this family, it begins with praise. And then fear came to all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all of the hill country of Judea. And then all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And so God's blessing here on this family, it, it, it's mind-boggling to me that this miracle, if you will, that happens as, as they're thinking about it, they're going, this, this has to be the blessing of the Lord. This is our heritage. Because if you were childless your family line ends with you. That's it. It's over. And there was nothing more valuable to a Jewish family than continuing their family line. And so it's a curse when one is childless. is the way it was basically looked at. And so all, the, all of a sudden this miracle takes on a little bit different flavor. And, and, and it behooves us to think about the value of children in our own time And while I I would not belabor the point, you know, sometimes people will ask me, well, how come the Bible is largely silent on the issue that we call the abortion issue? Because it was unthinkable for any child to not be seen and valued as having come from God. And so no one would even have thought that way. That's why the Bible is largely silent. Dr. E.T. Sullivan said the greatest force in all of the world is stored in the lives of our babies because they're the future and that was a Jewish perspective that's the way they looked at life and so both moms and dads during biblical times would have seen their future in the life of their children because as you got older there was no social security there were no retirement plans. There was no 401Ks. There was nobody going to be going down to any type of place in your local town looking for support. If you didn't have children, your end was not good. You cast yourself upon your community, and very often it had a very poor result. And so they directly associated the the beauty of having children as God's graciousness being bestowed upon them. And so it's interesting to me that the forerunner that we have here, John is Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. God has been gracious to us. It's also interesting to me that he goes from being tongue-tied to being talkative. You know, God opens up this old priest's mouth. He hasn't been able to say anything for nine months. And he's going to give us an incredible uh, picture uh, of of the coming Messiah. But the hand of the Lord, it says there in verse 66, was upon him, or was with him. And as as this baby boy comes into the world, and he's not going to be called Zacharias, but he's going to be called John, it's interesting how John actually perceives this news. He couldn't speak. He He basically was the whole time just simply trusting God, and I want to ask you this morning, if God brings something difficult in your life, are you able to ride out that difficulty and remain simply trusting God because here's Zacharias he can't speak he he's got a clay or a wax tablet sometimes they would have wax ones, they were kind of like the, the forerunner of an Etch-A-Sketch. You know, you just fill a take a wooden frame, fill it with wax, and you take a stylus and you could write in it. But this whole time he's not been able to do what he normally does. He's not expounding on Scripture daily. He's not fulfilling the duties of, of, of a priest at this time. He, he's basically been tongue-tied. And all of a sudden, very immediately... Uh, It says here. And the Greek word there, parachroma, uh, means to instantaneously, just exactly. It's a medical term. Remember, Dr. Luke, Luke is a doctor, uses a medical term. It's the same way when you see all of a sudden uh, a bruising disappear. It's just like instantaneous. It wasn't like he sort of started to speak, you know, and got a few words back. He's been silent for nine months, and now, you know, he manages to eke out a little bit of a sentence. No, he opens his mouth and immediately begins to praise God. And I think sometimes we're hesitant to believe that we still serve a God that does these kinds of miracles in our lives. And the reason I think that is, largely, is because when we go through times of difficulty, we start to lose faith. We're not going through that difficulty in faith. We we begin to see our faith diminish. And sometimes it isn't until the end of that period of silence when it seems like God is not speaking to you that all of a sudden there's a reason for you to praise God. There's a reason for you to go, Oh, that's what you were doing all this time. I can speak for Connie and I. We, we've had multiple periods of time in our ministry experience where it's like, Lord, why are we here? What is it that you are doing in our lives? This seems like we're dwelling in the wilderness right now. But all the time, God was doing something. He was at work behind the scenes. And I think that's what Zacharias and Elizabeth experience here. God had been at work in their life. He was doing something in them. And the way that you can see that come to fruition is when you're at the end of that journey and all of a sudden you break forth in praise. You go, Oh, that's what you were doing, Lord. You, you see, He had closed His mouth in unbelief and in doubt. And he opened his mouth in praise. Very often the Lord allows us to go into those periods of time where unbelief grows in our life and doubt grows in our life. We're not trusting God and he allows those things to bear some fruit over a period of time while he's working in our lives and then all of a sudden our voices open up in a voice of praise. He goes from tongue-tied to talkative and... Out of him comes great news, verse 65. And fear came on all that dwelt around them. And all these things were noised about or noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? and the hand of the lord is with them you see when zacharias went silent he wanted to sign and now he's beginning to sing so after all this time after these years of silence that were way before zacharias now all of a sudden god is going to have a voice in our world an audible and it's going to be their son god's going to break his silence You can almost see them kind of, you know, holding hands and, you know, here's this aged couple going, I wonder what he's going to be. You know, one of the great joys of being a parent is wondering and watching and waiting for what God's going to do in the lives of your children. It was no different then. They're sitting there looking at this baby, I wonder what he's going to be. I wonder how he's going to respond. The Lord's hand is going to be on him. I wonder how God's going to use him. And so Zacharias begins to declare some truths about the one that has been born. Verse 67, And now his father Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Now it's interesting to me that the first bit of praise that comes out here is directed towards national Israel, but it's through the words uh, of this one that's going to foretell of the Messiah. Now it's important for us to put this back in its original context because the promise was made to the Jewish people through Abraham. Amen? That through you all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was part of the Abrahamic covenant. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's an interesting concept when you start to think about it. As Zacharias is speaking those things, remember he's a priest. He's very, very well aware of what we call the Old Testament speaking of the coming Messiah. And that coming Messiah, according especially to the book of Isaiah, which we're currently studying on Thursday nights, he's seen as the Redeemer of Israel. And so he begins to speak forth these truths, for he's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, David's house, there was still going to be a coming king, a king of Israel, but he'd be the king of kings, and he'd be the Lord of lords, he'd be the great I am. He, he, he wouldn't just be a, a regular king, if you will. You see, Messiah was to combine the two offices that Melchizedek held. Because if you remember, when Melchizedek met Abraham on the plains, he was both priest and king. The Messiah would come as priest and king. And so whoever this new king is, whoever is being spoken of, the one that John is going to tell the world about, he's going to be like no other king that's ever come and he's going to be like no other priest that's ever ministered to the people because he's actually going to fulfill what was prophesied of the children of Israel that one day they would see Messiah and they'd believe in him. And so Elizabeth, in this case, gives birth to the messenger while Mary is going to give birth to the Messiah. So many things are spoken of in this passage For God has visited and redeemed there in verse 68. uh, His his people, he's brought the redeemer. Now here's the interesting thing. For the Jewish people, the horn was a very very specific thing. Uh, We call it the shofar. That's the Hebrew word for that horn that would be blown. But a horn was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of victory. It was, the, it was the way people communicated one to another. And so he's going to raise up a horn, victory, a, a horn, power, a horn of salvation, an announcement. There would be a trumpeting of the victory and a trumpeting of the power and a trumpeting of the salvation to the Jewish people through Messiah. Messiah. And so this is this child that's now been brought into the world through this aged family. And it pictures, because this is for national Israel, for all the people, they had been captive throughout almost the entirety of their time in the Promised Land. And so they were wondering, when is the Redeemer going to come? Their current situation was pretty grave. It was grim. They were under the iron hand of Rome. Now, Rome offered them some religious freedom. That is true. And in fact, even in appointing an Ijumean ruler in the Herods, Herod the Great specifically, they they did have freedom to worship God. But it was also very repressed. And so they weren't free to do anything and everything that God told them to do. It was within a Roman context. And so now they're going to have full freedom because the Redeemer is going to come and that spiritual soundness that they were looking for was about to be available to them. And so we see a picture of that coming Redeemer in this passage. And if you remember, the the Scriptures give us so many pictures uh, of the one who would come the redeemer who would come and we covered many of them in our uh, both our Christmas program and then uh, again on our Christmas Eve uh study in in there in in Micah but where did he come from Well first and foremost he would be a Jew Amen you're the the Messiah our savior is a Jewish man, amen? He was a carpenter from Nazareth, but he was also God's own son. He was Emmanuel, God with us. But the Bible's very specific about this Redeemer that was gonna come. It wasn't just any guy. And so as John the Baptist sets out to prepare the way of the Lord, every single thing that's said about Messiah has to be true. And here's the crazy thing. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you control the Jewish religion through the priesthood and the temple sacrifices, if you knew all of these things about the Lord, you would have done everything to prevent Jesus from fulfilling all of these things. And so when you think about who he was, he was obviously Jewish. So they did not need to look amongst the Philistines for the Savior, for the Redeemer. They, they didn't need to look amongst the Egyptians for the Redeemer. They, they didn't need to look in, in, the, in the northern reaches of what we would call Syria at that time, an area that was controlled by former Assyria. You didn't need to go over to Iraq to worry about the Mesopotamians. There was exactly one tribe that was still identifiable at that time And that was Judah. Where does Jesus come from? He comes from the little of Judah. And so as John is going to receive this message, he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's going to be of the family of David. He's going to be born in David's city, Bethlehem. And so interestingly enough, guess where Mary and Joseph are both from? Uh, They're both from David's city. They both belong to David's line. And so God is making these things stand out to the Jewish people. It's like, I, I want you to understand something here. He's saying to them, He's shouting at them. So as John the Baptist comes on the scene, he speaks of the coming Redeemer. He could, he could look at them and go, Wasn't the Redeemer supposed to come from Bethlehem? Isn't he supposed to be born of Judah? Isn't he from David's line? Well, look where Mary and Joseph are from. Yes, the birth was miraculous, but no matter how you spell it, it fits the criteria for Messiah. And he's a Jewish man. He is of Israel. But that Messiah would be King of Kings and he would be Lord of Lords. He would be so much more. Verse 70. Speaking of that Jewishness. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know, I don't know if that's true. Look at the history of what we know in our Bibles. God continuously spoke to people. He spoke through Abraham. He spoke through Noah. He spoke directly to Adam and Eve. Amen? He spoke into people's lives. He continually told them, look, this is what I expect. This is who you are. This is what I want from you. He was continuously speaking. You know, sometimes we think of prophecy only in its foretelling state but God spoke forth who he was through the prophets as well. He spoke of his holiness. He spoke into their lives through the prophets who have been since the world began. God spoke in times past, the book of Hebrews reminds us, through the prophets. He's been speaking. He continues to speak. Notice what the message is that we should be saved from our enemies. You ever wondered how the Jewish people still exist on the face of the earth? You ever thought about that for a couple of moments? Just kind of pictured in your mind? How is it that this very tiny ethnic group, my dear friend, fellow pastor, Jeff Dorman, who's in Colorado right now, I I don't know how many of you got for Christmas the 23andMe gift, but if you did, it's kind of fun, but I can tell you what happens, you're going to find out some strange things about yourself, probably that you're not who you think you are, in my case, um, I'm part Neanderthal apparently, (laughs) I didn't know that you could get Neanderthal DNA, but I have some. I am also part African-American. About six or seven generations ago. So you you learn those things with my friend. Jeff holds up his 100% Jewish. I'm like, that's not fair. The Messiah is Jewish. 100%. Because his DNA was heavenly DNA on the heavenly side. And Mary's on the other side, amen, and she was Jewish. and so we look at this this story and we have to ask ourselves, God made it so incredibly clear what the Messiah would do, that we would be saved, should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This is crazy stuff. This is God speaking through the life of John the Baptist, this man who was born, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So when people say to you, no, the Abrahamic covenant doesn't matter anymore, they need to deal with this passage. Because Dr. Luke says that God still intends to keep his promise made to Abraham. What was that promise? That their generations would be more numerous than the sands of the sea, that he would give them a land, and that the entirety of the whole world will be blessed through them. Strangely enough, the Jewish people still have a land, though they should not. Strangely enough, they have been preserved through throughout history, though they should not. And strangely enough, our Savior is Jewish, and every Christian has a heritage in Judaism. That's why we call it a Judeo-Christian heritage. God's been faithful. He's kept every last promise, and he swore an oath to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you a land. We call that land the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And speaking forward into our time and beyond, there is still a promise of that land to those very specific people. And they're back in that land now. After an absence of nearly 2,000 years, your Bible says once they go back into the land, they will never again be removed. And so the world kind of seems like, well, there are a few people that don't like Israel, amen? That's if you know anything about the news cycle. That is a truth. But who's on their side? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will bless those who bless thee, O Israel. And I will curse those who curse thee, O Israel. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all of the days of our life. Now look at what's being said here and ask yourself a simple question. How does that happen? It's actually a simple answer. It's called being saved. It's called coming into the right relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son who happens to also be the jews messiah that's how it happens and so he begins to speak about what the scriptures say remember he's speaking to ultimately a jewish audience this is in his home luke's recording these details but zachariah says look here's a couple things that are going to happen to us there's some stuff that's going to transpire in our lives scripture is going to be made true When you read your Bible, you can trust what it says, family of God. It is true. God has kept his promises in his word. He will not fail on one point. So what he says about national Israel, which we're studying now in our Sunday night study through the book of Daniel, we're also going to be studying as we journey through Isaiah, every single promise he made to national Israel he will keep so when Joel says at the very end of days that God's going to say enough and he's going to come against the whole world for what they have done to his people Israel to the land that he gave them and his holy name he means that and so here Zacharias is getting a picture of things to come He's saying, look, we better be about serving God. We better be about serving the one who has redeemed us, the one who can save us. And then in order to do that, it's interesting to me that this passage, this chapter, concludes with in holiness and righteousness before him all of the days of our lives. Now, we happen to know that the way that we are holy Is not because we're good. Amen? We're holy because Christ is holy. It is Christ in us that is righteousness. It's what he's done for us and continues to do through that process we call sanctification becoming more saintly that these things have become a reality. And so as he speaks these truths into our lives today he's basically saying to us, look, when we serve him we serve him in sanctification. When we honor the lord we honor him through being like him and so i just encourage you family where we're looking forward to a new year to a new vision for 2020 i can tell you that our greatest area that we need the body of christ to be active is in these three things knowing your bible in scripture Serving the Lord wherever you can, and being more like Jesus. You do those three things, you've got a real task ahead of you for 2020. Know your Bible, serve the Lord, and be more like Jesus. That's what's in view here in this passage. And so it concludes this way, verse 76, some words about John who is coming. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. And by the way, that is exactly what Isaiah 40 says about the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. That prophecy of John the Baptist who would come to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sin. Anybody in here glad that your sins have been forgiven? Amen? That's what the king's done for you. That's what happened when you said yes to Jesus. Through the tender mercy of our God. Anybody thankful for the tender mercy of God? Amen? Think about it. This is what this child is going to proclaim. That you can be transformed. Your mind can be renewed. When you know the word, you serve the Lord, you're sanctified. This is the result. With which the dayspring, and that, mean, that, that word dayspring actually means sunrise, if you want to understand it in a modern context, it just means uh, the sunrise, if you will, from on high has visited us. Ever wondered why that star shone in the night sky all night long and all day long over the town of Bethlehem? Because there was a new day coming, and that new day was coming through Messiah, through the Savior. Through the one who is our Emmanuel, God with us. The Day Spring, that's really a name for Jesus. Jesus in that sense, when we celebrate a sunrise service, it's actually in the Bible right here. Did you know that? We're celebrating the day spring, the sunrise in our lives, where God enabled us to have a right relationship, to have our sins remitted or forgiven. To give light to those who sit in darkness. What did Jesus say was the world's problem? You know, Jesus told us what the world's problem would always be. Men loved the darkness. That's the problem with the world. When you have people in your life who are going the world's way, the reason they're going that way is the world loves darkness. And so when the light turns on in their life, sometimes it's like, man, I don't want anything to do with this light thing why because they can see clearly they can understand what's going on they can look at it and go mm that's not what god wants in my life and the shadow of death you see when you realize that you're a sinner that you need a savior and that every one of us one day is going to step out of time and into eternity and you realize there's one solution John would tell people about the solution to guide our feet in the way of peace. Why did we not have peace? Because we didn't have peace with God. We were at war with God. We loved darkness, we kept doing our own thing. And so, this forerunner is going to come. And we today thank the Lord for that voice that was crying in the wilderness, who made known to us the coming king, amen? The, the one who can solve the problem that we have. Because my problem is, is still those things in, in, in my mind that are darkness, those things that need to be still dealt with by the redemptive work and the sanctifying work of who Jesus is in my life. And it's true for each of you as well. And so not only did he cancel that debt, not only did he bring a new day, he he brings this new strength and new spirit in verse 80 in the final of this chapter, and so the child grew and became strong in the spirit, was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. He stayed in Bible college for probably 20 years in the desert preparing the way of the Lord so when he spoke the boldness of that truth these are the truths he would speak the Redeemer's come the one who's the horn of our salvation has come the one who's the king has come the one who's the lion of Judah has come and I pray for us as we look forward to this next year That we'll do so with anticipation of how God is going to use us to be students of the Scripture, to serve the King, and to be more like Jesus. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer together? If you're here today and you've never taken that first step, because the first step is to admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Uh, that you're sick of walking in darkness, if you haven't made that choice yet, or maybe this message has resonated with you. I'm going to just simply encourage you after service over in our prayer room, and we have a number of people that would share the, the truth of the gospel with you. Lead you in a simple prayer of knowing Christ. For the rest of us, it's a great time to be busy about our Father's business. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Amen. Lord we thank you for your blessings in our lives and Lord we want to be serious this coming year about knowing you and so we want to be students of the scriptures we want to be serious this year about serving you so we want to dedicate our lives to that end and Lord we want to be serious about being like you so we ask you to sanctify us by your spirit Lord make us Uh, into an image that's visible of who you are to this world. And so, Lord, we give you our lives afresh and new, a living sacrifices, Lord. Help us to be holy and acceptable in your sight. Lord, deal with those areas of our lives that need your touch. We thank you for your grace. Lord, your mercy that's poured out freshly upon us every day. And so, Lord, we bless you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.